Good morning. Today, Bezat Shem will be learning Daf Pei Hey in Maseches Ksubos. Now, Andrew, you may be disappointed to know that we are 13 lines down on Pei Daladam Bays, but it's actually not the worst spot to start because today we'll be doing case studies. Did you ever go to law school, Andrew? Yes. I know you did. The uh, idea of the case study, it has halachic significance also. We give case studies great significance. So we could, right, the Chazal will argue uh, concepts all the time. And then they say, well, we saw this, this halacha, and we saw this. And often it'll be random names of people you may not have uh, heard of otherwise. You know, the main Roshe Yeshiva discussing the topic will point to Minhag Yisrael or a certain uh, case study uh, to illustrate a point. And, uh, and that will hold great weight. And so today, case studies hopefully will go a little bit faster because I did fall behind. We have some uh, shorter shirim these days for slichos on this, the fourth day of Tavshin Pei Gimel. So, Pei Dalit, Pei Gimel. Pei Gimel. We moved from Pei Beis to Pei Gimel. Did you notice that on Rosh Hashanah? That it was Pei Beis and then Rosh Hashanah was Pei Gimel? Huh. In Ksubas? Okay. So what does that have to do with It just means that uh, it's a dafyomi coincidence that on Tavshin Pei Beis, we did the last daf of, of Pei Beis, and then Tavshin Pei Gimel, we did the first daf of Tavshin Pei Gimel. That's how I remember that it's Tavshin Pei Gimel. Ah. Oh. Okay, so here we go. What was the issue? Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon had a machlokas. Uh, we're in the middle of a conversation about whether Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon can have a machlokas. Rabbi Akiva was technically Rabbi Tarfon's Talmud. Um, what was the machlokas? Rabbi Akiva held that you can't seize anything from the from the uh, Yorshim, from the heirs. Right, Rabbi Tarfon said, there are scenarios where you can't seize from the heirs. So we were in the middle of discussing maybe the Machlokas between Rabbi Yochan and Reish Lakish, right? Because we started already the case studies where Rabbi Yochanan said, where, uh, like, like Rabbi Tarfon, and Reish Lakish said, nah, you can't do that. Uh, we have to hold like Rabbi Kiva. And therefore, you can't seize assets from the Yorshim. And Rabbi Yochanan said, okay, well, I guess we have to hold like, um, re- like, like Rabbi Akiva, because that's what you said. And he reversed his halacha. And the question is, can he reverse his halacha? Why would he reverse his halacha? Is Rabbi Akiva allowed? Maybe if Rabbi Akiva is not allowed, so to speak. I mean, he's allowed to disagree with Rabbi Tarfon, but maybe if Rabbi Tarfon is his Rebbe, uh, we're allowed to listen to him. As, as we said, Rabbi Kiva, relative to his colleagues, we always paskin like Rabbi Kiva. But is Rabbi Tarfon, in fact, his colleague, or is his, or is he as Rabbi? Is Rabbi Tarfon is Rabbi Kiva's Rabbi? Then, in fact, Rabbi Tarfon can disagree with him, so to speak, and we might even be obligated to listen to him. Or the Ebais Ema, thirteen lines down, paid dollar on the bays. The Chulei Alba Halachik Rabbi Kiva Mechaver Velomi Rabbo. Maybe we hold that every, that Rabbi. That Rabbi Kiva is always going to take precedent when he has a machlokas with his colleagues, but not when he has machlokas with his Rebbe. However, maybe here the argument, the discussion was, so there we see that there is some ambiguity as to whether Rabbi Tarfon was in fact uh, considered Rabbi Kiva's Rebbe uh, or not. Maybe he was just considered a colleague. If he was his Rebbe, then you could argue. However, if he was his colleague, Right, as Rish Lakish holds, so then 
Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Akiva, we would always hold like Rabbi Akiva, because after all, we always hold like Rabbi Akiva relative to his colleagues. Or, finally, everybody agrees that Rabbi Tarfon was in fact Rabbi Akiva's colleague. And here, maybe they would disagree as follows. Interesting. Rish Lakish would say, right, Rish Lakish holds like Rabbi Akiva, so he would say that the halacha follows like Rabbi Akiva. That's the principle, okay? And therefore, it's such a principle that if you would rule against that, that would mean that you ruled connected halacha, that you were incorrect in your ruling, and you would have to reverse it. However, mar sover matunit, mar would simply say, we lean towards Rabbi Akiva's opinion, uh, we assume Rabbi Akiva, right, we give it great weight and assume that it's right, in principle, but were you to paskin like anybody else, we don't say that the halacha is so definitively Rabbi Akiva that it is an incorrect psak to paskin against him so much so that you'd have to reverse it. A fascinating, right, a fascinating uh, machlokas here. Fine. So now, uh, halfway down, pay dollar and bays, we're going to do some case studies. So, Kriva de Rabbi Yochanan. So, relatives of Rabbi Yochanan, remember, um, right, the, the relatives of Rabbi Yochanan, Tafos Paro de Asmi Misimta. Remember, the uh, Rabbi Akiva is the one that says that you can't seize it from the Yorshim. So Rabbi Akiva would frown upon this. Rabbi Shlakish is the one that holds like Rabbi Akiva. So now the relatives of Rabbi Yochanan didn't follow Rabbi Akiva. They actually seized cows inherited, right, by the orphans. And they seized it. They said they had a debt, right, and, some, and whoever was owed the debt seized the cow from the orphans in a simta. And we mentioned that the simta can have a different halacha than Rishus Harabim, as we will now reaffirm as follows. Also come out of the Rabbi Yochanan. So they go in front of Rabbi Yochanan, Amalahu. Rabbi Yochanan says, Shapir Tafsasua. Yeah, because he holds like Rabbi Tarfon that you could do that. You could seize that property. So also look, right, even though it belongs to Yorshim. So also look at the Rabbi Shimon bin Lakish. The came to Rabbi Shimon bin Lakish, otherwise known as Rish Lakish. Amalahu, Zilo Hadar, go back and return the cow because he held like Rabbi Akiva, who said that you can't seize from Yorshim. So also look at Rabbi Yochanan. So they went back to Rabbi Yochanan and Amalahu, and he said to them, This is the amazing humility of Rabbi Yochanan. We always regard him as the greatest Gadol in Eretz Yisrael of the time. Everybody wanted to know always what does Rabbi Yochanan say whenever Kiasa Ravdimi, Kiasa Ravavin, right? Whenever anybody came to Bavel. From Eretz Yisrael, all anybody wanted to know was what Rabbi Yochanan the Great Gadol said in Shir and so forth. But Rabbi Yochanan's great humility, he deferred to Rish Lakish's opinion. Amazing. Okay, another case study. So, so, so the fact that he deferred, you're starting to see a lacha looks like it's like Rabbi Akiva a little bit, like Rish Lakish in this case, which is to say it's protective of the Yorshim. You can't be tofus from the Yorshim. What's interesting here is that it's even in a simta. Right. In other words, if it was in Rosh Hashanah, so then that would make uh, then then it's perhaps more likely that you could be tofus. We'll see. Right. We said the Rosh Hashanah is a little more. It's the Yorshim did not actually make a kenyan on it there because it's a free for all area. Okay. Ahu bakara the Yasme. Bakara. Bakara is a herdsman like bakar. Right. So he's herding cattle, and he's herding cattle of orphans. Right. Of the tafse toramine, and they seized. The ox, for, like one of the creditors, once seeing upon, right, the, their, their father died, he says, he owed me money, and he sees one of their oxes of the heirs. Now, the person who seized it said, yeah, no, I seized it while the father is alive, right, because he smartened up. The question is, when, does the, when did he have the chiv? So, so long as the father was alive and had the debt, debt 
uh, uh, right, a debt collector can collect a debt. It's only from the orphan Yorshim that he can't collect the debt. Those are protected. So he claims, in fact, that he collected it while the father was alive. Uvakara Amar Lachar Misutav say no, but the herdsman said no. You took it after the father's death. So now we have two conflicting accounts, because if you took it after the father's death, we're probably going to hold like Rabbi Kiva, like Rabbi Shlakish, and, have, and make you return it. So also look at the Nachman. So when the case came to Rav Nachman, well, are there any witnesses to this? So Amalei love. So the herdsman says, oh, I don't have any witnesses that it was after the father died. So Amalei, so he, Sir Nachman said to him, So the problem is like this. We're going to always have this issue of mukhzuk. Whenever it comes to monetary dealings, um, the possession is nine-tenths of the law, whatever the phrase is, right? So who possesses it here? Well, the the creditor um, the, who collected the debt uh, is the one holding the ox right now. So Rav Nachman therefore Paskin that since that creditor could say that he bought it, like how did this ox get into his hand? He could say anything, right? We don't really have any evidence. So he could say, I bought it. So since he could say that, you have that word, the key word migo, which means that since he could have said one thing, so we believe what he says now when he says that he got it from the father's lifetime. In other words, we don't have any evidence to the contrary. He could have uh, even proposed a stronger right uh, claim. And therefore, the bottom line is he's holding it. So with a lack of evidence against him, the creditor is going to have the opportunity, according to Rav Nachman, to hold on to it. Uh, but the Gemara says, Wait a minute. This whole concept that I'm telling you of Chazaka is applicable only in cases where you have a Chazaka. Cheskas Maman means that it belongs to you. What does Godros mean? Godros means it's, a, it's referencing the size of an animal. If an animal is so, is so large that it cannot be caged, then it's like a, chaz- a chazaka like, like a karka, right? You have a chazaka like land, like real estate. But if an animal can be caged, it's a sign that's a little smaller, right? You don't really cage an elephant. It has to be like wild, uh, out in the field and not even an ox. But if it is something that can be caged, so then they don't have chazaka, that could be like metaltalin, and therefore that's not a proof of ownership. However, an ox, the Gemara says, shiny Torah, the Messira Laroe. A ox is so large that it is considered, right, we, that it's considered a chazaka. We hand it over, so to speak, Mesira, Laroe, to the herdsmen. And therefore, if you have a large ox like that, an animal like that, it's, it's found somewhere, it is presumed to have that chazaka. In other words, how did it get there? So you have to assume that wherever it got, that that's where it belongs. And therefore, you would have to prove, you have to bring a proof. Uh, if you want to extract it from said place. Okay. Next case. Creditor of a deceased person, the Venusia. Uh, members of the house of the Nasi, the creditor died. Tafus Amsa the Yasme Misimta. Because now, who did this? What's an Amsa? It's, a, it's like a maidservant. Okay. The maidservant was one of the. Right. So obviously, there's maidservants in the house of the Nasi. He's very wealthy. So there's, there's people there that are working there. There's the butler and the, maids, and the maid. So the maid was inherited by the debtor's orphans from a simta. So let's follow the case. So the orphans are the debtors. And so now they're trying to collect who died? The, cre- the creditor had died. So now they're trying to collect 
from the orphans, from a symptom. They're trying to get the maid servant. So Yosef Rabbi Yavar, Rechanin, Bar Papi, Rabbi Yitzchak, Nafcha. So a bunch of these Gedolim um, are sitting around in judgment, right? A bezin of three. Yosef Rabbi Abba, Gabayu. And Rabbi Abba was sitting with them when that case came. And Amalahu. And so the Bezdin said to the Nasi's Shuliach, Shapir Tafsisuha, that they did the right thing by grabbing the maidservants. Okay? Um, okay. So, Mishum Devein Nasiya Ninhum Machin Fisulahu. So again, this is, the Nasi is wealthy and the creditor had died. The person, so they, right, took it from the debt. They took it from the debt from, from orphans. So wait a minute. They're allowed to take it from the orphans? Rabbi Abba, right, was, was there, right? He was sitting with them, but he's not one of the Dayanim. So he's saying to the Dayanim, why are you paskening like the Beis Nasiya? Is it because machnifisu, right? Hachnafa means that you're like um, giving them, flattering them, and actually giving them preferential treatment because they're from the base Nasi, how are we going to, right, how are we going to seize this Amma? After all, it looks like one time when we ruled like Rabbi Tarfon, reversed it. Right? In other words, how are you supposed to be able to take away the orphans, right, the orphans' stuff, the orphans' maidservant, and give it to the Beinasiya, after all? Whenever we pot, we typically we paskin like Rabbi Akiva, and Reish Lakish paskins like Rabbi Akiva, and we already have a precedent case study where when we didn't, where, where we took away from the orphans, uh, Rabbi Reish Lakish actually paskins like Rabbi Akiva and reversed that case and gave it back. So therefore, is it because you're giving preferential treatment to the base Nasi that you're allowing it to be taken away from the Yorshim? So that presumes that that was the wrong halacha, right? Um, this does have some consequence as to whether an ama and slave are considered real estate or metalpolin, but certainly we don't have time yet because we're still on Pedal and Bez. So four lines up from the bottom, Pedal and Bez, another case study. And again, when we go through each of these case studies, we're just saying how it was Paskin and we move on. Like we don't really have, uh, the Gemara is not going to sit there and say, well, this is def- definitive. Each case um, the Rambam goes through these cases. It's fascinating uh, through some of these cases, and and you can uh, spend a few weeks going through the Rambam and determining, you know, how we fall out here the halacha. But here we're just trying to go through the cases. So, Yemar Bar Chashi was the name of the person, and he had a claim of money against somebody. Okay, so So the so the debtor died, and he left a boat. Okay, so there's a boat here. So So Yemar, instead of going by himself, right, to go collect, the, seize the boat as, right, as payment, he sends a shaliach. So this is a fascinating case study. Azal Tafsa, the shaliach goes, seizes the boat. Somehow holds on to, like, the ropes or whatever. So Pogabe, listen to this. Rav Papa, Rav Una, Bereda, Rav Yeshua. Two of the greatest, right, Gedolim of the time. And they meet this shaliach. Amr Lahem. So he said to, to the shaliach, he said to them, so they said to him, rather, as we will see, um, because this is the shlichus, right, it doesn't, it, it's uh, a different case than if the debtor had come himself. And why? Because what happened was, 
not the debtor, but the collector, had died himself. Because what happened? They said to him, Papa and, and Ravuna said to him, you cannot, as a, as a shaliach, be tofes lebal chov, you can't be tofes on behalf, as, as a shlichus, on behalf of the collector, be, in, the, in the case where it's chav lacherim. What's the chav lacherim? As follows. A shaliach normally could do a shlichus for someone else where it's zachin le'adam shalom b'fanov. Right, because you could do something on his behalf. But here, apparently, this person left a boat, and it stands to reason, Andrew, because who buys a yacht? He obviously overextended himself, right? This was a man of modest means, and he buys a yacht anyway. So he had tons of, right, people who were in money to everywhere, including Rav Papa, as we'll see, and Ravuna, Brader of Yeshua. Everybody owed this, every, he owed money to all these people. And so when he owed money to all these people, when you just send a shaliach, by definition, if he's seizing the boat, he's taking that money away from all the other people that his master, that, that, that um, the original owner of the boat who died, right, owed money to, right? He owed money to everyone. So you can't just send a shaliach to be mezaka you, and at the same time, simultaneously take the boat away from everyone else who he owes money to. And this is what, but so, so Barry's saying, why not? Like, like, like whoever gets there first, should be the one to get it. But apparently, right, they said to him, as a shliach, you cannot do that, right, where you disadvantage the other creditors. Okay. So this is the source for it, Barry. It was Rabbi Yochanan. What did Rabbi Yochanan say? If someone, right, seizes property on behalf of somebody, right, who's owed money on a creditor, in a situation that there are other people who also owed money, as we finally arrive at Peheim Aleph, lo kana. That is the halacha. You have to see uh, the, this tosfos, um, and you have to see what uh, the tosfos, and you have to at right at atofos lebalchov, and see that's on still on peydal and beis atosfos, right? It says. Kan mashma the alpha gov the aso shliach the amalei zil tafsei afilo achi lo kana, and he says that that's not what Rashi says in Bava Mitzia, right? Um, that the machlokas there is Rashi says there that's only when he didn't make him a shliach. That's a very fundamental difference, Barry. In other words, Rashi makes more sense to Barry just to just to uh, bring it around because what Rashi is saying in Bava Mitzia is that this is an a uh, guy takes it upon himself, like Barry and Andrew buried the hatchet, they're friends again. Barry knows that this guy, this is, you're the one guy that, that this guy didn't borrow money from, this big, uh, to, to get this big yacht. But you know that Andrew is one of the guys that he did borrow money from. So on behalf of your buddy Andrew, you're going to go and you're going to seize the boat. That's Rashi's interpretation. And it is for that reason that you don't have the authority, Barry, as, uh, because you, you're a self-appointed shaliach. Maybe if Andrew had appointed you, you'd be, you would have the authority, okay? And be that as it may, this was a case where the rabbis told this individual, this shliach, you don't have the authority to take that boat away from us, right? Because we were also owed money by this dude, okay? So now, what did they do? Listen to this, Tafsu Inu. Rapapa and Ravuna themselves, Ravuna, right, seized the boat. Rapapa mimlach meluchai, how do you cone a boat? Rapapa starts rowing it. Ravuna buried the Rishua, mamtach lakbashlan. Ravuna, Rishua, starts pulling it with a rope and work, right, working the sails. Okay, so this is different ways of being kona something. So now Rav Papa and Rav Huna themselves have a financial dispute over the boat, right? 
One of them says, I acquire the boat. They have the dispute. Who actually was coming to this boat? The guy who, right, worked the sails or, right, the guy that rowed the boat? So Pogabu or Pinchas Bar Ami. Pinchas Bar Ami meets the two of them. And Amalu, Ravi Shmuel, Dami Tavayu. Ravi Shmuel argued on a lot of things. But in this, they both agreed. Right? That this idea of Rabbi Tarfon that, that says that you're allowed to take, right, as we said, from, from the Yorshim, unlike Rabbi Akiva, that's only, right, in Erishusa Rabim. But this, he assumed, was like a simta, and there even Rabbi Tarfan would agree with Rabbi Akiva that you're not allowed to take it. So what are you guys doing taking it? He's presumed that the boat was in Erishus Ha, it's like a simta because of like a docked boat. So Amulay, or like a canal. So Amulay, they said, no. We didn't take this boat from the dock. We took it from the currents in the middle of the river. They like took a rowboat to the boat, and that's the equivalent of Rishus of Rabim, and therefore that seizure was effective like the uh, right halacha of Rabbi Tarfon, and that's why they were allowed to do so. And even Rabbi Kiva perhaps would agree in that particular case. Okay. Now another case. Also look at the Rava. They wanted to know. Continuing, not another case, rather, a continuation of the case. What's the halacha? Does, who gets the boat? Rapapa or Ravuna? So they go to Rava, and Amalhu, Kake Chivare Meshacha Glime De Inche. Okay? You guys are like white geese. We already said in Brachos Nun Zayin that if you have a dream of white geese, you become a lot of very wise. White geese, by the whiteness, is a sign of, is, is a phrase that indicates wisdom. So he says, You guys are. White geese stripping the clothes, mashle glime de inche, off of people, which is to say you're using your cunning wisdom to your advantage. So hachiyamarav, he says, hachiyamarav nachman rather, right? Because of these rabbis, they know that the shliach can't get it, and now they're being outsmarting everybody and they're taking the boat. So that's what Rav Nachman said. Rav Nachman said that this kind of seizure of the property as assets of orphans is only effective when you do it during his lifetime. But he already died, and therefore, in accordance with the Rikiva, they should not be entitled to the boat. Okay? So now, we're going to digress to have more case studies. Okay, so that, that's how they left it. So we see, Rabbi Kiva's halacha held great uh, weight, and you put it all together, and you could find out, uh, and you could really uh, put these case studies together, as you do in law school, find out what would be the halacha in your individual case. Right, he had a claim, uh, against a certain residents of Chaza, he owed them money, and Chadrinu biyad Chama bereid Rabbah Barbo, and he sent the funds in the hands of Chama ben Rabbo, and Azal Parinu. So Chama went and paid them. So Amr Lahu, and then he said to them, Havalu Shtar, give me a loan document to show, to show that I paid you back. So Amr Lahu, Sitroi Ninhu. Wow. Sitroi Ninhu, as Rashi explains, that this payment that you gave us, that's not for the loan that we're talking about. They did take the, the money, but, they said, no, we're not going to give you a loan that the loan is forgiven. That was for money that you owed before. This, now, you still owe money for, the, for, the, for a second loan, right? Like, okay, so that is a problem because the shliach thought that he was paying the current loan. But there was an even older loan that that money, that they took the money to satisfy. So they were looking for Allah. They say, did he pay the current loan? Or are they entitled to take the money, right, for the original loan and still not give him a start to say that he paid the current loan? So, so this case came before Rabbi Are there any witnesses that you paid them? This is, he's asking the, the shliach. So Amalei, I don't have any witnesses. So Amalei, uh-oh. 
Rabbi Abba said, you're, you're stuck. They, they are entitled, right, the, to collect for the old loan because they could say that you never paid them at all since there's no witnesses. Therefore, you use that. They could say that those funds were for the original earlier obligation that you had and therefore justified in not giving you a receipt. And so you can imagine that, that this shliach, uh, Right, was that this is a tough thing that Avimi ben Rabbi Abou is actually paying, but despite the fact that he paid back the loan, he's still going to have to pay back the loan again because he has no receipt because they can have a claim that they still owe that he still owes the money and that that only satisfied an earlier loan. So now the Gemara says, "Le'inan shalume shaliach mai." Okay, maybe if that's the case, so then maybe the shliach should be culpable. Right? Maybe the shliach was negligent, right? If I sent you, Andrew, to go pay a loan for me and bring me back the receipt, and I gave you the money to satisfy the loan, and you came back and said, yeah, I paid them, but I have no receipt, and you still owe the money, I'm going to go after you. What kind of shliach is this? So maybe you should be culpable, Andrew. Says the Gemara, well, Amaravashi chazinan. We look at the circumstances. It depends. What did the debtor tell the shliach? Did he say, take the document and give the money? Well, if he said that, so then Andrew really should have taken the receipt first and then paid, right? Then Mishalem. Then it's Andrew's fault. And he's considered, right, negligent for not taking the receipt first, right? However, if he had said, if he would say, if Andrew was acting in good faith, but the debtor said to Andrew, give me the money first, and then I'll give you a receipt. And then after Andrew gave him the money, he withheld the receipt, so then, Lomi Shalom. So then, that's not Andrew's fault. He got kind of duped by the debtor. Gemara, however, says, Velohi, Benkach, Benkach, Mishalom. No, either way, it's Andrew's fault. The Amar Lay, that's a Kunish Tarichach, Velolavuse. Because, Andrew, you don't have to be such a softy pushover. When he told you, give me the money, I'll give you the receipt. Part of your Shlichus is to say, I don't think so, pal. Give me the receipt first, and then I'll give you the money. And therefore, the Gemara is saying that the Shlich has to be a little bit more assertive, and it is because you are not so assertive that. The shliach himself is going to be the one that's going to owe. Right. So, so Barry wants to know. What do you mean? Why? Why should Andrew uh, demand the receipt? When do you ever give a receipt given before a payment is made? That's a very good question. We're going to see, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, the, it, it could get worse uh, over here. But you're right. Why? Why? What gives them the right? Right of retrieving the document. So, um, it's 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 really it's a really good question. When do you? Why would he, why would anybody give him the receipt first before he paid? Right, right, right. Because he said, "Give me the money, I'll give you a receipt." That's that seems to make sense. Why would that? So so Barry's suggesting that in those days, that's not how it worked. That maybe. Uh, if the if the expectation was to get the receipt first, maybe that's how they did business. Um, and again, it's uh, in other words, you could defend that old practice, Barry, because even though normally when you purchase something, you don't get a receipt until you purchase. When it comes to debts, if you paid the money before you got the receipt, then muchzak is so strong that now that I got the money, right, you'll never right get right. You'll never get your receipt. Because we always go with the money with the muksuks. Maybe that was the source of the old custom of getting the receipt first before, before paying because muksuk was so strong. But you say, well, the opposite could also be true, 
right? If I get a receipt, then I could say I already paid you, and now I'm the mukzuk. So I don't know. That's a good question. Okay, next case. Certain woman, she had a whole, a whole bag full of receipts. Okay, and also yoshim So now the heirs of all the people who owed money, they want, they want the money. So She said, "What are you talking about? I seized these receipts during your father's lifetime because he owed me a debt." Rashi explains this isn't really like the receipts are not real documents that have currency. It's more like she's holding them as collateral, okay? Uh, because after all, without the receipts, they can't go collect the money. But she's trying to basically do ex- extortion, I guess you could say, to try to force them to give the, her to, to give her money. So aside the commander of Nachman, so she came before of Nachman and Amalan. He said to her, "You have any witnesses, right, that the father demanded?" this of you during your lifetime and you didn't give it to him? In other words, in, if she had such evidence, I would actually help her because that would mean that she actually had some uh, dealings with the deceased and had and was a mukhzak because after all, with the deceased husband, she can have uh, an, an argument about that. That's just a regular bezdin. But with orphans, they get the upper hand because that's what Chazal was protecting them. So Armalei loves. She says she doesn't have um, any witnesses that she had such discussion during the husband's life. So, so therefore, Nachman ruled that if you don't have any evidence of using these, uh, these staros, right, during the, during his lifetime, so then this is just straight up blackmail of, of, of Yershim, and we're not gonna allow that to happen, right? You can't start blackmailing them after the Yershim, after already the husband died, because from Yershim, we're not going to give you anything, that blackmail is not going to work. Okay. So now, more, more cases involving females. Let's say a woman was chayavashvua. Let's say she was a modem and miktas. It's one of the cases where you'd be chayavashvua. She partially agreed to something and now she has to swear. Okay. This is in the basin of Rava. Amr Lei Basra of Chista happens to be Basra of Chista. The daughter of Chista happens to be Rava's wife. This becomes relevant. Okay, so it's in the bezin of Rava, and Rava's wife is coming and said, She says, I know this woman. She's suspected of not being so truthful with her shvuas. So So Rava reversed his din, and he said, right, uh, instead of this, typically a modemimiktas is the one that's going to be swearing. Here, he considered, right, Rava considered this woman's swear to be ineffective based on his wife's suggestion. He knows that she's basically a big fat liar. And therefore, he made, he made her, her disputant, right? The person who she was swearing against swear because that was a more trustworthy person. So he kind of like reversed the typical standard operating procedure. And he said, whereas normally the modem that makes us is the one that swear, why don't you swear? Because this modem makes us is not trustworthy. So now the Gemara says, on a different time, Repapa and Rav Adab Masna are sitting in front of Rava, and I saw who star a document was brought for, before them for collection. I'm like, Papa, I happen to know that this debt has already been paid. So I'm like, so Rava said to Papa, is there another person who we can bring as a witness so we can have two witnesses to this fact? So I'm like, Papa said, no, I'm the only one who happens to know. So I'm like, so Rava said to him, even though you, Rav Papa, are quite the gadol, I can't use your single witness testimony to appropriate the money. So I'm like, Ravada Bermasna, Ravada Bermasna is watching all this. And he says, Vloya Rav Papa, Kavasra of Chista? 
he was aware that the previous story, Rava listened to his wife, the daughter of Chista, and his wife's um, testimony about a woman being a liar held water, and based on that single testimony, he appropriated money, and here, if Papa is telling him something, and he said, well, you're going to have to bring another witness, because I can't go with just Eidecha, Eidecha isn't anything, but your own wife was an Eidecha, to which Rava defends, amazingly, Bas of Chista Kim Begava Marlo Kim, that his wife is completely 100,000% beyond reproach, and Rav Papa, I'm sure he's a good man, and I don't have any reason to assume that he's lying, but I don't have any personal right, experience with Rav Papa to know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Right? It would have to be beyond a shadow of a doubt, Barry. Like, if 100% certainly, like, as if knowing it yourself, so to speak. But you could say, even if you know, if a Dayan, even if he knows himself, he's still in his Aiden. So it's a Chiddush to say, that even if you knew with 100% certainty that the person in front of you would never say anything that wasn't true. I don't know. So he says, Libe Kava. So for, for him, for a papa, I just simply don't know. So I'm a papa. Hashadam or Mark, Kimli Milsahi. Now that you said uh, that be, you have to be 100% positive, Kagon Abba Mari de Kimli I could tell you, uh, when we make a see him, Bezashamaksubis, after Yantiv, that Abba Mari Bar Papa, right, was one of the sons of, of Papa. And he says, so now Rav Papa said of his own son, that if he had heard his testimony from his own son, Abamari, Kairana Shtar I would tear up a document based on that, meaning that Rav Papa is conceding that maybe he's not 100%, although I'm sure he was, but Rava, Rava's wife, the daughter of Chista, was, and so was his own son, Abamari. If he had told me something, Karana Salka, uh, I would have torn up a star. Ask the Gemara, Karana Salka Daitach, would he really tear a star up? Tearing up a document is different. Then tearing up a document is different than adjudicating a case where you have witnesses here and there. A document should have some validity. Now, what he really meant is I'm not going to tear up actual evidence, but I would downgrade a doc- document. I would change the halacha. I would say, uh, you know, based on what his son said, he would actually downgrade the authenticity or the validity of a document. Amazing. Right? He wasn't, wouldn't disregard it entirely, but he would definitely take it into account. Okay. Another case, so he is so the Ichve Shua Beidina de Rabibi Barabaye. She became Chayavan on a Shvua. Okay. So Amrlu Ahud Bal Dover. So one of the litigants said, Taisi Vitishbab Masa, let her go and swear in her own hometown. After the Michasfa Umodaya. Why? Because he suspects that the woman is a big fat liar. And that because they're out of town, she's willing to lie because nobody knows her. So she's going to be, uh, she doesn't have any embarrassment. But if she was to swear in her own town, She'd be embarrassed to swear falsely. It's like today in social media, everybody's willing to say everything in anonymity, right? But if you actually had the person in front of you, right, you'd be less maybe inclined to just throw out, right, all this hatred. And, and, and you'd be embarrassed. So she said, okay, you know what? I'll go to my hometown and I'll swear. But write me an acquittal letter first. In other words, let's do all the logistics first. So when I swear in, in the other town, I get it right away. In other words, I want, I'll do it. I'll go to my own town and I'll swear. But then I don't want this to be over. Let's, so let's do the work, legwork now. So I'm a little Rabibi Barabai, a kiss with I said, all right, write up all the documents and then we're going to, when she swears, she gets it right away. So I'm a, so now they said, I'm a puppy. How can you do this? How can you write up all the documents prior to the case? Right? And now he said it and every time they, sort of uh, presumably insult each other. You have to go with the Chavis Yair that the Chavis Chaim quotes. What do these insults really mean? They have all these embedded meanings. But basically he's saying, to, Rav Papi says 
to Rabibi that because Asisimimulai, because you are come from short lived people, because he was the house, uh, he was the son of Abaye, and Abaye was a uh, from the house of Eli Cohen Gadol, and Eli Cohen Gadol, his house had a curse on him that they would die prematurely. So basically, he says, because you come from truncated lives, Amrisa you said incorrect truncated things. Why so? In other words, why is he, what's wrong? What's wrong is, how do you write all the paperwork, Andrew, as if it happened before it happens? A certification of judges, that you write before you have any witnesses on it, it's invalid. Why? Because Because it's like you're lying. You're writing as if it happened, but it hasn't happened yet. Right? So, So here too, nothing happened yet. So what, are you going to pre-write all of these documents before she actually testifies? So the Gemara says, no. That's not, this is not that of, uh, argument of Rava. Because Velesa, Midar of Nachman, because we see from Nachman, the Amr of Nachman, that when it comes in the context of Gittin, if you find a get in a trash, and then you sign it and give it to your wife, it's kosher. That get is going to be kosher, even though you found it in the trash, and you don't know when it was written, it's fully written, but, and it could look like Mexican Meshikor, but you don't have that concern. Even the rabbis who disagree, as we'll see, with Rabbi Meir, and they disqualify this get, the reason they disqualify it is not because of Mexican Nashim. The only reason they say that you can't use this get is because it's a get, and again, it has a different din, because it have to be written the Shema. But if it were any kind of star, they would actually agree that if you find a trap heap, you could use it. So we see that we don't mind pre-writing the documents and then just filling in the signatures afterwards. Right? If, if you find a debtor's note, already a used one, right? And then you repay the loan, at, recorded it. Well, you can't use it again. Because the lien was already released. Time of the Nim Chashibudu. And we see that the reason is because the lien was already, right, released. Uh, however, But we're not concerned about Mexico Shikra and Nishtar. So therefore we see that Rapapi's argument is refuted. And the woman can, in fact, rewrite the documents. And so Rapapi was completely done away with. You certainly can rewrite write the documents ahead and then sign them later. Of course, it's not simple because we paskin like Rapapi Lahalacha and Chaf Alaf Amirbeis, but in this story, we refuted Rapapi and we said that you could write uh, documents. This in itself is a discussion as well. Okay, a few minutes left. So, who governed as we are on Peyam Amirbeis? Who governed Afkid Shav Marganisa Detzayir Besadina? Right? So, this is an interesting thing. Somebody has seven pearls wrapped in a handkerchief, and we don't know, right? Was this a gift? How did he get this thing? Rabbi Yasha, the grandson of Rishu ben Levi, has this handkerchief with all the precious stones in his house. And then the grandson dies. He didn't give instructions. Where did I get this from? Do I owe it to somebody? Is it mine? So now the person who deposited in Rabbi Yasha's house and Rabbi Yasha's Yorshim are going over this case. Amalhu. So Ami says to them, well, there's two things that are in the favor of the claimant. First of all, we know that Rabbi Yasha had no money. And since he had no money, it's unlikely that he actually owned these precious pearls. And also, when the, when the Yorshim came, right, the, not the Yorshim of, of, 
of uh, Rabbi Yasha's grandson of Yeshua ben Levi. But he, the Yerushim of the claimant, or the claimant himself, came, he said, the pearls looked exactly like this, and exactly in this kind of handkerchief. So it really does seem, in two we- different ways, that it belonged to them and not to Rabbi Yasha, right? However, Rami says, but again, who's the muchzuk? The muchzuk is Rami Yasha, right? He had it in his possession. So maybe his Yerushim should keep it, right? So you say, well, if the claimant would regularly go in and out of Rami Yasha's house, so then, then, so then um, that would not work to say that he gave the simanim because if he had come in and out regularly, right, then he would know the simanim just from being in his house a lot, right? As the Gemara says, <laughs> It could be that it belonged to Ramiyasha, and just because you were in and out a lot, you saw that he had this precious thing. So we see the muchzak carries a lot of weight, and it's only because of the preponderance of evidence that it is no other way, if he had not gone in and out of the house enough, and there's no other way he could give simanim, and it's very unlikely that Rabbi Yasha had the money in the first place it really belonged to him, so then we're going to give it to the uh, other person. But otherwise, we would allow the Yosha and Rabbi Yasha to keep it. We're going to have many such cases tomorrow, and so tomorrow should hopefully uh, go quickly as we move on to Pei Vav, but we'll resume nine lines down on Pei Hei Amin Bez, Bezat Hashem. All right.